Let's do this, everyone. Welcome to episode 111 of In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports. We are here on this Wednesday going over the most polarizing, most interesting, and most fascinating topics in all of sports. And we have so much that we will be getting to today. A lot of basketball talk. And I'm not going to be doing it alone as before we start off today, I wanted to introduce my co-host, The Real Lil. Yo, what it do? Can you dig sports radio? We in the building, in the huddle. Shout out to my cousin, the Freddy System. His show went off before hours. And uh-huh. you know what? It's our time. Shout out to that guy, man. He's been doing a good job. I see you, cousin. We representing the family here on this network. And that's what we doing. But boy, I ain't going to say too much because we got some guests in here. We got our usual Isaiah in the building. But we also got one of my greatest friends of all time. Somebody I grew up with. Kenny yes, Smith. Sir. So I want to pass the rock to Kenny Smith and then we can pass it to Isaiah. Kenny, what's going on? No, man, I'm just excited to be back. You know, I've been on it, I think maybe once or twice, but it's always good being in the huddle with you guys. Hey, man, it's, a great, it's always great to be here, man. It's a fun time. I'm here to let's talk some sports. Let's get it. Let's do it. As in the NBA last night, there was a crazy, crazy game that we have so much to talk about. As the Atlanta Hawks, they defeat the Milwaukee Bucks by a final score of 110 to 88 without Trey Young. And I'm actually going to start this one off, boys, because it's funny. I remember telling Lil after the Hawks beat Philadelphia in Game 7 was that what really impressed me about the Hawks in that game was that Trey Young didn't even play that well. Like, he was super inefficient. I believe he was, like, 7 of 21 from the field. And other guys stepped up for Atlanta. Kevin Herter, Clint Capella, John Collins. And I did predict the Bucks to win this series in seven. But I don't know about how you guys feel. I know how Will felt about this at least. But coming out of Milwaukee's series against Brooklyn, like, I didn't really feel that confident in them. I think the only reason why they won was because Kyrie was hurt and James Harden wasn't healthy and really no other net besides Kevin Durant could make a shot. Like, it's that simple. If KD gets any help whatsoever, the Nets win that series. The Bucs honestly should have won that series in five. And that gave me a little bit of skepticism going into this Hawks series. With that being said, this is this should be Milwaukee's time, right? They're probably the more talented team than Atlanta, 100% healthy. We could all agree there. But at the same time, when Trey Young got hurt in game three and – just considering the way that game went, right? The Hawks were up early in the first quarter and Milwaukee came back like it was nothing. And for the first time all playoffs, I actually came on this show and really complimented the Bucks for what they did and their uh, effort and their toughness and their mental uh, toughness as well. But at the same time, all that goes down the drain after that brutal performance yesterday. I mean, you guys watched the game. To me, I thought it looked like they just thought they were gonna go into this game without Trey Young and Coast because they had their star player. And even with Giannis, we're going to get to the injury in a bit, the Hawks were winning this game from start to finish. And Trey Young, if you watched his career at Oklahoma, one thing that has always stood out to me is that Oklahoma was basically what the Atlanta Hawks are now when Trey was a a Sooner. They would run through him. He would take so many shots, and he was very good. But then the next year, he goes pro. They bring back the same entire team, and they were better with no pros. They were a top 25 team that made the tournament. And the Hawks last night really showed me that their ball movement without Trey Young could actually be super, super crisp and phenomenal. And I just love the guts Atlanta showed me last night 
That game was never in doubt. Nate McMillan deserves a lot of credit, and I am predicting the Hawks to win this series. I think they're tough enough to take one game in Milwaukee, and with Giannis's status in question, let's face the facts, I don't think he's playing again in these playoffs. I trust the Hawks more to, uh, at this point. I really do. Kenny Smith? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to agree with you. I trust the Hawks for the simple fact that, like you alluded to, Trey Young in Game 7 against the Philadelphia 76ers. He shot 5 for 23 from the field. That's terrible, and they still won the game. With that being said, I feel like the Hawks have a good enough supporting cast to get the job done. Shout-outs to Cam Reddish last night. Shout-outs to Lou Williams last night. Shout-out to Bogdanovich last night. Cam Reddish hasn't played a game since, I believe, February, and he came in, and he looked spectacular. Not only on the offensive end, because he shot 66% from the three-point line, but even on the defensive end. You see how his defense was on Chris Middleton, who a lot of people thought <laughs> with Giannis going down would be able to get the job done. But I knew it would favor the Hawks for the simple fact that in the past three seasons, the Bucks without Giannis have gone 15 and 17. With Chris, without Chris Middleton, the Bucks are 15 and 5. So with that being said, with Giannis going down, I certainly believe that the lead was going to explode, and it sure did, just as I predicted. I would I would say this real quickly. Yesterday, the Hawks might have been trailless, but they wasn't fearless, and that's exactly why they won that game. They came out at home, they jumped to an early lead. Giannis struggled. I mean, airballing free throws. I believe he was um in the first half he was held to six points. Like I said, had a couple air balls. But in the second half, he came out firing at all cylinders, scored eight points, cut the lead at 62 to 54, and then he gets hurt. And whatever went wrong pregame for the Hawks with the news of Trey Young's injury, it went right once the game started. And obviously Giannis's injury, the Hawks came out and in the second half and they outscored the Bucks 25 to 8 for the rest of that third quarter. So that tells you all you need to know right there. When Giannis went down, the Hawks smelled blood, and they was like the predator. They went after the, the Bucks, and they scored out. They outscored them, and that's why pretty much they won this game, along with the good performances that Kenny Smith just alluded to. Cam Reddish hasn't played a game. I believe he played garbage time the last game, but he was out for half of the regular season and the first two miles of the playoffs. He comes back, he scores 12 points, and he gets some valuable minutes in. We all know Chicken Win Lou, what he can do. All right, we all know that brother can get his shot. He can get his first buckets. career playoff spot, too. Exactly. He did his thing. And Bondanovich was the sniper. He literally was making his shots. And when the Hawks make their shots, I mean, everything went right. Ken Capella shot a shot from the daggone backboard and went in. Everything that could have went right went right great. for the Hawks this time in yesterday's game. Well, first and foremost, I just want to hope that Giannis, um, his injury is only a hyperextension. There's not a, a possible ACL tear. Um, and reports on Twitter, they were stating that uh, Giannis, the Giannis, um, the Bucks organization feared that it may be a severe ACL injury. So let's hope that it's not that, and we hope for his recovery soon. But let me get a lemon pepper order, please. You gotta <laughs> have a link before you order these. Lou Will was lights out. Sweet Lou, Lou Willville, whatever you want to call him. That brother was on fire yesterday. First playoff start, as Kenny said. And the brother went seven for nine, 21 points, right? Eight assists. The brother was unstoppable yesterday. People thought him, like him being in the starting rotation, 
they thought that it would have hindered um, the Hawks because he's more of a scorer. He's not really a facilitator. We all know that. But last night, he was doing everything. Bogdanovich coming into that third quarter, he hit 12 points in that third quarter, three consecutive threes. He was lighting a floor up. You know, we talked about Cam Reddish. We talked about, you know, Kevin Herter. You know, he didn't shoot as great as we wanted him to, but he still provided some great minutes on the floor, scoring the ball when he can, when he could. And then Capella, like I say, stated before, he needed to be on the floor. He needed to show his presence on the floor and score the ball, get the rebounds that he got. Um, this Bucks team is extremely disappointing. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are set to make $63 million combined going into next season. They go six for 17. Both of them go six for 17 is just inexcusable. This Bucks roster could score. They have Brent Forbes who could hit threes. They got Bobby Portis who's shown us that he could score points in the limited minutes he can get. Connaughton has shown us he could score the, um, the points in the limited minutes that he gets. The fact that they couldn't score on this Bucks team without Trey Young on the floor, they should have took advantage of this early in the game. They started off the first quarter losing. You know, they weren't doing good. They were letting the Bucks trample all over them, doing whatever they wanted, in, this, in a sense. Lou Williams went um, perfect from the field. They had people just scoring all over them. It's just not a good sight to see. Just like how um, it's just not, it's like Zach said before, you know, the Bucks, they weren't, we weren't confident in them coming into this, um, into the series because of what they did in the Brooklyn series. You know, they barely beat a Brooklyn team that was not a good defensive team. And we thought that they, that series should have ended early. And they just came into this series thinking it was going to be a walk in the park because the Hawks are who we thought they were in the season. They're just another team that got lucky against the Knicks and the Philly. No, they're a team to fear. And the fact that the Hawks are two games away from the finals still shocks me to say. Um, it's not looking pretty for the Bucks. Hopefully, they turn around in Milwaukee. We see a better version of, of Drew. We see a better version of Chris Middleton. And hopefully, better news for Giannis. Isaiah, one thing I will say is, like, part of what makes these NBA playoffs so cool, especially this season, right, is I feel like each one of these series are, like, the momentum is really changing on a game-to-game -game basis. And I feel like, like, I don't want to overreact from one game. Of course not. But I agree with a lot of the things you said, right? As Lil, going into that Brooklyn series and coming out of that Brooklyn series, like, I was not confident in the Bucks whatsoever. I agree with you 100%. That series really should have been over in five. And the fact that if Kevin Durant's shoe size was, if that was a size 17 opposed to a size 18, the Bucks aren't even in this spot to begin with. Let's also face the facts, bro. Hopefully Giannis is healthy. But before last night, even if he doesn't get hurt, one, the Bucs aren't winning that game. The Hawks were the better team from start to finish. And number two, is Giannis ever going to win a championship if he doesn't do it this year? And maybe the injury, like, that takes the question out of perspective because who knows. But at the same time, like, I'm saying even if he doesn't get hurt last night, I think that, like, the Hawks are a tougher team. They're the better coach team. I think they have a real shot to win this series, whether he comes back or not. And when I see Trey Young not play last night, and I see everything you guys said, the effort from Lou Williams, the effort from Cam Reddish, that shows me a team that could step up in adversity. It was kind of surprising that Trey Young didn't play last night, and the fact that the Hawks were that ready to play shows me that they respond to adversity well, and they're a well-coached team. I I'm super impressed. I think the Hawks win game five, whether Trey or Giannis or whoever's on the floor. I, I trust their supporting cast more. I, I do. If I'm Nate McMillan, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If I'm Nate McMillan, he needs to ask for whatever Trey Young game paid because he needs to get paid top dollar. He's turned this team around ridiculously. No one could really even mention anyone else. Like, we understand the roster was hurt with Lloyd Pierce, but 
the way he turned this entire team around to play the buy into the defense, I, they were a great defensive team, I believe, once he took over in Atlanta. So the fact that this team turned around tremendously is beautiful to see. He needs to get top dollar. He needs to be the highest paid coach in the league currently because this man is doing some wonders we didn't expect. But I'm sorry. Good to you, love. No, that, that's a fact. I agree with that. But what I disagree with with Zach is the fact that if Giannis don't go down, I don't think Atlanta wins this game. You know, and I know they came out strong and they came out right out the gate. But the Bucks was closing the gap. And the momentum, they started to realize, yo, Trey Young is not even here. Giannis realized at halftime, I'm Giannis Antetokounmpo. And yeah. he started getting going. If he didn't get hurt, they would have came back and won that game. But to the flip side, Kenny alluded to it. No, I think Isaiah alluded to it. They should have played that way in the first half and build yourself a lead. And in case an injury like this happened, you have a lead and you can try to hold on to it. You know, so that's what the Bucks did. And um, yeah, we can sit here and go back in the past about the next game, the game seven. Listen, when has the Bucks ever made anything easy? They're not that type of team. They don't have that killer instinct. Me personally, I don't even think they have a Batman. It's just straight Gotham City over there. Because if you're Chris Middleton, all right, and you 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 put up 38 points and then you go ghost and y'all five or 23 from beyond the arc, and then you have Giannis, who obviously we all know what he can do. He can get to the rack and get to the basket. But obviously at times he's a liability because he can't make free throws and he takes these poor shots. Who is your Batman? Brother, it's not Batman. It's Gotham City over there in Milwaukee. So at the end of the day, I think the series is over if Giannis is out. If he is um, going to play, which I find it hard to believe at some point in the series, then they still have a chance because they don't make things easy. But I still think with Giannis, they can win this series. It just won't be easy. But without him, they're done. Can I ask you guys, everyone, I'm just curious to get all three of you guys' opinion. Like, you guys really think that last night, the guy that was airballing free throws and airballing three-pointers was going to bring the Bucks back from that deficit? I, Listen, definitely, they were, they, I definitely do think so because if you look at it, I think in the third quarter, they were able to cut the lead to, I think, about seven. That right, and then, and then they got it right back to 12, and then he got hurt. The Hawks were never – like, I never – even when, before Giannis got hurt, I don't know about you guys, I never felt like that game was in jeopardy for the Hawks. They were I did. Like, I Giannis, felt it was in believe, jeopardy. I think Giannis finished the, the half with four points, and then he finished the game with about 14 points, right? I think in that third quarter, he was starting to gather himself up. Mentally, yeah. he was beginning to be in the game. And with your best player being in that, um, that, that, that mindset – it kind of would rub on to the team, but he wasn't in for that long for it to happen. And think, think about, oh, think sorry, about the you. injury, my fault. Think about the injury and how that takes the gas out of your locker room, out of your, your guys. When you see a guy like that, Giannis going to hurt. Of but course, they're going to come out flat. I, th I think, um, going to Zach, I, th I agree actually with Zach. I think that um, the Bucks were going to rely on Giannis too much to the point, but even before, if the injury never happened, they would have relied on Giannis so much to score points. I think they would have crowded the paint and because everyone else was shooting terribly, you know? So you couldn't rely on an extra shoot, like someone to kick it out to and shoot the ball well when everyone is shooting horrible. Like um, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton shooting 35% from the field wasn't really something to support Giannis into getting more points. So I think Giannis would have had to do a bulk of the load, whereas the Hawks had so many people shooting the ball so well that the lead would have kept going on and on and on because Giannis would have to rely on going to the paint and hopefully getting some points at the free throw line or dunking a ball and getting, you know, trying to force his way into the paint, which could have been potential offensive fouls, travels, et cetera, et cetera. So right. I think to the point of Zach that I think the Hawks 
had a like a chokehold on a, on a game essentially since that uh the poor um, offensive performance on the Bucks. So here's my question for Lil and Kenny. This is what I'm trying to figure out, right? So you guys are going from saying that if Giannis doesn't, or Lil said this at least. So if Giannis stays in the game, the Bucks win. But it, but if he's out the next two games, this series is over. Based on his performance last night, I don't know if him getting hurt impacts the series to that high of a degree. I think so. I mean, it's Giannis, bro. It's an MVP you talking about. I get it. About. But didn't we just does not impact the game. I don't know ago? what sport you're watching. Right, no, but Will, didn't we just sit on the show a couple days ago and say Chris Middleton is the key to the Bucks? Like, didn't we just say I that? I said he he was stepping up. He was the Batman at the time for that couple of, for that game. Literally, but well, without it, Giannis. It, it, isn't, it isn't no oh. Batman at that time. Giannis is the Batman of that team. I just stated how without Chris Middleton, they're 15 and 5. Without Giannis, they're 15 and 17. The record speaks for right, itself. But I would call Giannis a Batman. That, if that's true. a Batman, then that's a terrible Batman. He ain't saving the people. He's out there drinking a glass what? of soda. You, you're saying he didn't get hurt. He would have saved the people last night. That's why I'm confused. You know what I mean? But my thing here is, is the the stats over there, they now with the gap. They now with the gap. Momentum. We all know how momentum is in sports. Before yeah. getting hurt. He was showing me something. But I feel like with Giannis out, Chris Middleton is going to be looking at more double teams now and he's not really much of a facilitator and if drew holiday isn't knocking down his shots or doing his job that they brought him there for then the series is over holiday and middleton were two for 14 collectively for the front of three so they, they weren't really shooting i hate to say it but as we can talk about Giannis all we want right we can talk about Giannis all we want and um how great of a player he is and like he's a multi-time mvp he's a top five to seven player in this league i totally understand that but i really do believe deep down if the milwaukee bucks want to win a championship and uh Giannis and middleton are both on the court playing i think their best chance to do that is when their offense is flowing through middleton and one of the main reasons why they lost last night and why i think they never had a chance to win last night was because chris middleton and drew holiday didn't show up that's the, that's this is the fourth quarter. I would agree with you because we all know Chris Middleton for being a closer for the Bucks. But make no doubt about it, Giannis is still ahead of that team. It's uh, I thought the game was out of reach, and that's an insult to Middleton. I mean, the close you saw the score. How is the game out of reach when it's a seven point game? Are you kidding me? Even it's like, four point, I, that's what I'm four point game in it, uh, isn't out of reach. Bro, in today's point, NBA, in today's that's NBA, a 20-point lead is like a five-point lead. And matter of fact, it wasn't even a 20-point lead. It was a seven-point lead. Right, no, I understand what you're saying. But I just think that my, like, what I watched, like, I just think that with or without Giannis, the Hawks were significantly better last night. That's all I'm trying to say. I we got to move on to the next topic. We had oh, a good okay, time. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> Uh, you're listening to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports, the request line 1833 Radio BX. We'll be moving on to the next segment of today's show as Scotty Pippen, a guy who, like over the last couple weeks, has been in the news a lot. He continues his rampage, as he calls his former head coach of the Bulls, Phil Jackson, racist. And he says the decision to give uh, the rookie at the time, Tony Kukoc, a key shot in the 1994 playoffs while Michael Jordan was MIA playing baseball, uh, was a racial move. Uh, So, boys, whoever wants to take this one, when you see that statement, what comes to mind? I'll take this one. Scotty is crazy. 
crazy. That's the best way I could put it. Because one, I don't think we ever heard anyone say Phil Jackson was a racist. But if he is, and you have a reason other than him allowing Tony Kukoc to take the final shot, if that's your only reason, then brother, like I said, you're crazy. Um, I feel like the decision by Phil in that in that moment was for uh, Scotty to earn or learn how to trust his teammates. We know that throughout Phil's career, that's what's always been done. Uh, Michael, Michael Jordan didn't start winning until he learned to trust his teammates. We known he was always gonna take the last shot regardless, right? But that was up until Phil came into play. Now, if, like I said, if that's your, your, your reason as to why he's a racist, then why has Kobe and MJ taken most, or almost always taken the last shot for the end of a game? And to further touch upon that, uh, Scotty, like I said, you're learning to trust your teammates in those in those critical moments. If they lose the game, so what? You can you can call Phil bogus, you know, because uh, Scotty was shooting 10 for 20. He had 25 points. He was the hot man for the team. But again, the greats always want their teammates to be a part of the success. MJ stated it in his uh, documentary. And for Scotty, I feel like it was just selfish for you to do that. Not only did he catch a tantrum for uh, Phil's decision, but he also told Phil, I'm not getting in the game because I'm not taking the last shot. Brother, you just had a turnover. You had a 24-second violation prior to us calling this timeout. And you were being double-teamed. Why would I give you the ball in that moment? Learn to trust your teammates. It's as simple as that. That's how I view it. Didn't he say the same thing about Kevin Durant learning to trust his teammates? Exactly. And he definitely did he say something do that. about that. And well, he couldn't even do it. I would say this, though. And I'm going to defend Scottie Pippen here, right? I feel like everybody's going to come at Scottie Pippen. I'm going to defend the brother here. I actually am. Last year, Zach know it. We was on the show. We recorded in the huddle in the middle of a pandemic, you know, putting out content on a consistent basis. And one of the things that we talked about for like three, four, five straight episodes was the documentary, The Last Dance. And when you think about how this documentary came out in a pandemic when the world is shut down and everybody has an eyewitness view of The Last Dance, we talking about 5.6 million viewers. Michael Jack, oh, excuse me, Michael <laughs> Jordan had the opportunity, shout out to Michael Jackson, rest in peace, my brother. Michael Jordan had the opportunity to paint his picture in front of 5.6 million people, all right? His narrative, whatever he wanted in that documentary, he got to put it out. So I'm not gonna get mad for Scottie Pippen a year later to get his narrative out there because all we hear is Jordan. Jordan, Batman, Jordan, Batman, Jordan. Scottie Pippen is a Robin. It's hard living under that. It's hard living in a title where you know you believe in yourself as this great player and you did a whole lot for that team and you got to live under Michael Jordan's shadow. So why not come out, write a book like he did and speak his truth? Now, I don't have to agree with everything he's saying and I clearly don't, but I do agree with the right that he wants to get his narrative out there a year after Michael Jordan got his in front of 5.6 million viewers. So I'll leave it at that. Okay, so I agree with basically everything Kenny said. Now, with that being put into mind, here's my theory. I just think Scottie Pippen is trying to sell his new book, and he's trying to get people to read the new book. Because 
honestly, like, none of this makes sense whatsoever. And when it comes to the last dance, the last dance, like, no one's gonna deny that story was told through Michael Jordan's view and through his lens. But at the same time, I don't know about you guys, like, we didn't watch the 90s Bulls. We didn't grow up with that. And as just a pure basketball fan, like, I learned a lot from that documentary about just how great of a player Michael Jordan was and how clutch he was. And obviously, Scottie Pippen had a lot to do with that. But at the same time, even though that documentary was being told through Michael Jordan's view, didn't it feel real? Like, it kind of felt like, all right, like, now these were the 90s Bulls. I just learned so much more. And then when I hear Scottie Pippen calling Phil Jackson a racist and all the great points that Kenny brought up, having those in the back of my mind, I was just confused what was going on. And I hate to say it, and it's really none of my business to make these allegations, but, like, I think it really makes sense. Like, I don't know if Scottie Pippen's in a great place right now. Like, did you guys see him in during that interview? He has his hair is, like, a big blown up. Like, <laughs> he's not, he has this big beard. Like, his wife had just left him. Like, he, she was being spotted with Malik Beasley. Uh, unfortunately, he just lost his, his older son. Like, I just think something is kind of wrong with this guy, and he may need help. I, I, you know, I'm not kidding. Uh, you may be looking at something. Yeah. Yeah, Scottie Pippen, uh, you know, he said that uh, he put it on, on a post two days ago. You know, I'm just answering the questions you're asking me. You wanted the headlines, you got them. Dig deeper to find out what why I actually said what I said instead of framing your questions to get clicks. It's all love. I don't know if it's all love, Scotty, because uh, you're making a lot of accusations that could really tarnish somebody's career. And um, it's it's tough because, you know, when you look at different situations, but like Phil Jackson with the Knicks, when he, you know, ousted Carmelo Anthony, talking about he's not a leader, and he kind of like essentially tarnished his image, Melo's image, in a sense where it was tough for him to really even go anywhere else because of what Phil Jackson said about him. And then even previous times with uh, Phil Jackson and Kobe, like Phil Jackson like said, stated that he felt like Kobe hated him. You know, rest in peace, Kobe. But Kobe never said it publicly that he hated Phil Jackson. He played for the team he wanted to win. That was his MO, win with whoever, win, do whatever I can to win the game. So, you know, for Phil Jackson to say that was kind of strange too. But I don't, you know, think he had any... Uh, situations personally when he oh situations that he showed publicly that he was a racist um and also in the 90s the documentary back to what zach was saying scotty was going through a lot you know he signed like a very bad contract like five years four years a million two million dollars it was like some craziness like you're, you're paying for peanuts and you're playing for peanuts when you was getting you could have got paid the top dollars that jordan was paying essentially you know and even like um, he had problems with Jerry Krause because Jerry Krause kind of promised him he'll be the guy and he wasn't the guy. You know, he was the second fiddle to Jordan, and which was cool because when he was the guy, it was a lot of pressure and he sensed it. He couldn't handle it. And then he had like those times where he sat out because of injury that he wanted to get traded because he didn't want to be there. He wanted a new contract, X, Y, and Z. So, you know, there was a whole bunch of stuff that Scotty was saying. And it's, it's tough to really pinpoint exactly what he's referring to when he's calling uh, Phil Jackson a racist. Even that last shot, like Tony Kukos was the better shooter. So why not right. go to the better shooter? But you know that's that's it's, that's in on its own. You know, so it's it's just tough. You know, he tells he tells us to dig deep, but who really wants to dig deeper into a situation when no one really has the files to really talk about? You know, unless Horace Grant comes out and says, yeah, Phil Jackson was a racist who was on that Bulls team with them, we wouldn't really know. We we have to pinpoint who. Like, you want to go to Steve Kerr and ask him if Phil Jackson's a racist? Like, we don't know exactly to go to to really uncover this can of worms you know michael uh excuse me i said michael michael jordan um stated i mean declined the comment and also phil jackson declined the comment so we will i guess we'll really never know exactly what scotty pippen is referring to
I mean, hey. if there's players that that come out and say mm -hmm. something, then we'll we'll know. If nobody comes out and say anything, then it's probably not true. But Scotty Pippen, send my check in the mail, boy, because I'm about to defend you here again, one 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 more time again here. You know, when you talk about Scotty Pippen, like I said, he has he had to deal with being in that shadow, and the media is always going to point um to Scotty as his Robin. All right, so I don't have a problem, and I'm not going to comment on the Phil Jackson racist comment because I think that's bogus. If you you got to come better than me with that, uh, if you basing it on the final play, I mean the guy made the shot, didn't he? So at the end of the day, I'm not even gonna comment on that part. But as far as him speaking out on some of the stuff that he's speaking out on, when we get to the Kevin Durant situation, when he come out and says that Kevin Durant is not a leader or he doesn't get his teammates involved like LeBron James do, I mean, at the same time, doesn't the media come out and paint who they want to paint good and paint who they want to paint bad? So are we going to sit here and defame this brother, Scottie Pippen, for doing what the media in general is doing? And isn't he part of the media anyway? So I don't really have an issue with what he's saying, to be honest with you. It's actually more content for In the Huddle. Yeah, we're talking about it right now. So I really don't have no problem with it. Like I said, I, I could try to put myself in his shoes and see how it will feel to know that you're uh, uh, one of the most important players on this team and always being in Michael Jordan's shadow. I would never want to be under somebody's shadow, to be honest with you. I don't want nobody, oh, my name has to be combined with somebody all the damn time. Like, granted, we all know Michael Jordan is the best player. He's the GOAT of basketball. We get that. But think about how Scottie Pippen feels about everywhere his name is being brought up. Michael Jordan has to be brought up with it. So I can understand why he may be losing his mind. I'm not denying Zach's point. He probably is losing his mind. But I can probably see why when Zach listed all the things he's going through and the fact that he's always being tied to Michael Jordan. I mean, well, here's the thing, he couldn't win without Michael. It's simple as that. When and Michael couldn't win without them. Right, which made the Bulls great. That's what I was going to say. Like, when did... Like, when you really think about it, right, Will, I totally understand what you're saying, right? It never feels great to be the, the guy connected to the guy above you. But at the same time, it's not like it came for no reason, bro. Like, you're literally the one of the best dynasties in the history of basketball. And you were literally the sec the guy who was probably the second most responsible for it. When did that become an insult? Like, I understand uh, why, he, like, like, why he may be a little upset. Like, okay, Michael Jordan's name always gets brings up. But, like, there's no – I just don't think that's an excuse to just try to ruin the whole thing like he's doing. I agree. You are listening to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports. The request line, 1833 Radio BX. Boys, before we move on to the next segment, any uh, last comments on this one? Nope. Um, I just feel like Scotty is very, very emotional. I feel like he's very emotional because, I mean, in that season, he finished third in MVP voting. So he, I feel like he had such a big head to the point where he feel like, this is my team, I'm going to do everything my way. But no, you still have Phil Jackson the greatest coach ever, coaching you. And if he wants you to trust your teammates, then so be it. Because the reason for you being in the game in that situation, yeah, the play was drawn up for Tony, but the reason why you were supposed to be in the, in, in the, uh, in the play was to draw attention away from him for him to have a more decent shot. But the, the, the shot he took was super tough. He had a hand in his face. It was a tough shot. But it wouldn't have gone that way had Scotty been in the game. And not to mention, that was the game-winning shot. They still won a game. And Scotty, once, once Tony hit the shot, everybody from the Bulls are rushing Tony, and Scotty's the only one on the side. 
So imagine how Tony felt in that locker room. And then, got, and then you got Scotty in the, in the, in the uh, talking to the media saying, oh, yeah, it was, my, it was all my decision. I didn't want to go in the game. I didn't right. want to be in the game. I wasn't taking the last shot. Why would I be in the game? Request line 1833, Radio BX. And we'll be moving on to the next topic of today's show as Shaquille O'Neal has been in the news as he shuts down LeBron James's comments when it comes to why so many NBA players were injured this season. And that also connects with Tom Brady and his empathy for the tennis player, Naomi Osaka, amid her mental health break. And the question we have on the table today is should more celebrities be more thankful for their financial status or do they have a right to feel the way they do? And Will, you were kind of the one that drew that uh, connection between Brady and uh, Osaka and uh, Shaq and LeBron. So I'll, I'll throw the mic over to you to start us off. I want to pass the rock the philosophical little here. All right, cool. I'm going to answer the call. You feel me? I'm going to do something 911 don't do fast enough in the black communities. Answer the damn call. But anyway, we all back here. And look, man, I'm going to just say this real quickly. I know there's a saying that money don't buy happiness, right? But I know there's something called the American dream. And a lot of people don't have that luxury of living it. And what I mean by the American dream, I'm talking about, you know, money, a whole lot of money. I'm talking about having the best wife, having the best husband if you're a female. You know, having a family, being able to not worry about your bills or whatever. I think that's cool. That's the American dream here. And that's so that's a big reason why people from other countries that don't have anything flock to America. A taste of that American dream. I wouldn't make something for myself. And America, in America, you have that opportunity. Obviously, we all know that not everybody has that clear path to it. But um, when it comes to Naomi Osaka, and her dealing with her mental health. I want to start off there first. Uh, with Naomi Osaka, right? We have to realize that when you take somebody like Tom Brady, Tom Brady grew up in an era where there wasn't a lot of depression, right? There was depression. Depression always existed, but they didn't have the social media, you know, which I feel like is a big reason for depression. He was raised in an era where you had to work, you had to work, and you had to feed your family. Now we live in an era where social media, you know, is a big thing and a lot of people is depressed this is the depressed era i would say not to mention we are in a pandemic and all that we get all that but i do feel like to answer the question that people in naomi osaka shoes and in lebron james shoes should feel a level of gratitude because they don't have to worry about what bills are going to be paid they don't got to worry about living check to check they have all that and matter of fact i'm pretty sure naomi on her way to where she got she, when she was hustling, when she was trying to be where she was, there was no such thing as a mental health break because you wouldn't have a job. Serena Williams worked hard. Have y'all looked at Serena Williams' backstory of how she got to where she got and how hard she worked to get where she got? If she said, oh, today I'm going to take a mental health break, she wouldn't have got where she wanted to get. And that's just the reality of America. Some people, they say, yo, boss, I'm not coming in today. I'm taking a mental health day. Brother, you're going to be without a job on the employment line, unemployment line tomorrow. So I do feel like celebrities should be more gratitude um, to what they have, me personally. Uh, Kenny or Isaiah? Um, I would somewhat agree, but like you said, money doesn't buy happiness. So, and to, to touch on what Shaq was saying about LeBron, I don't think Shaq fully understood where Bron was coming from. Braun simply stated how the NBA should have listened to him 
because he knows about the body. We know LeBron for being what? For, for, for lasting so long. He's what, 30, 30, however old he is. But he's still playing at a high level, and there's a reason for that. He understands how to take care of his body. So if he's coming to you about these kind of things, and you just shun it away, and now we have all of these injuries, who's to blame? Is it LeBron? No. He Obviously, what he was stating was true. And I feel, like I said, I feel like Shaq didn't fully understand what he was saying because of what he said. And with that being said, I just feel like the fans come to see the NBA players. They come to see the best NBA players, really, or if you have a favorite team. So if your favorite player isn't there, you don't really get that same joy that you get coming to see the game. And for us, like, you may not have the luxury, the money that they have, you know, to do all of these nice things, true. But that's the reason why we go to these games, to find that happiness. We know sports bring us joy and entertainment. If we don't have that, and our life is already in shambles, <laughs> then brother, we depressed. <laughs> it's simple as that. It's simple as that. So money doesn't buy happiness. So I, I fully understand why a lot of these players feel the way that they do. And mental health, health, uh, mental health is real. The fact that Shaq has any comments about injuries is laughable to me. Um, the point of the, there was a point of his career where he was carried by superstars because he couldn't keep himself healthy enough to stay on the court, and he got paid big bucks <laughs> even through injuries. It's um, it's funny to me. Um, he also has to understand that LeBron, um, being on the Lakers, he had to play through rigorous um, circumstances. You know, he went through playing on the Lakers. You know, being the main guy on the team. Then a pandemic hits. No one knows exactly what's going on. You have to be mindful of during that pandemic time. Nobody knew what were the proper protocols to take because it was an illness that no one knew how to control. Even to this day, know exactly what's going on and how to move around freely, even with the vaccinations and anything like that. Um, and then on top of that, he had a, a month break between the finals and then going into the next season. His body, nobody's body really during that finals were well rested. And you saw the um, impact that it had on Miami Heat who had a very um, underwhelming season. And uh, it looked like they were just a, weren't a shell of themselves going into the season, especially with the Lakers as well. You got AD being hurt um, with like, you know, ailing injuries and Braun having that ankle injury that he even stated he would never be the same again, you know, after that injury. I don't know if it was an exaggeration or not, but he knows his body more than anyone else mm -hmm. he being hurt. But, you know, the mind and body is all in one, you know, you have to take care of it. And if someone's not able to take a mental break, it's daunting, especially in professional sports where you're in media 24 seven dang near, you don't get a, a time to yourself to really just like Lil said, have the money you're working for it hard and stuff. But when you're working so hard for it, you need a mental break to just know where you are. You know, you can't just be work home, work home. And some of these athletes don't have a really a home because they're doing these media stuff 24 seven. Social media, you could do it from your home. And a lot of the advertisers, take advantage of that and they say oh well you can just shoot a video clip from our from your home and just do this and you could do that and you know that i think the fact that tom brady is um protecting naomi or even had his own his support shout out his support for her was a big thing because he's one of the biggest athletes to ever play to any sports you know he's like arguably the greatest of all time in nfl and the fact that he's saying you know if you could take you know have empathy for her and say, if you could try to get a hold of this, we hope you do, because it is, it is a tough world to be on top of the sports world and not be able to take, to take a break and have a mind to yourself and have like a moment to breathe. 
So, you know, these athletes are saying something, you know, and for Shaq and other people to say no this or no that, you know, sometimes you need to just take a step back and understand where they're coming from. You know, we understand a lot of people want to be heard, but you have to hear the people that's going through it as well. Yeah, I, I will say that it's an interesting connection made between the two topics. I agree with Isaiah when he said um, about the bubble and the pandemic, like I think the NBA did as good of a job as they possibly could to put that season together uh, last year, considering all circumstances. It was really helpful for us as fans going through the pandemic, just being at home 24 seven. That was really helpful, giving us stuff to talk about. But at the same time, like no one's gonna deny the effects it has had on this season like it's almost july 4th and the nba finals haven't even started yet like it's weird uh the timing is a little bit off but at the same time when it comes to uh naomi osaka it is interesting because as we get further and further in time i do think the support for mental health and everything uh, that it means and how important it is awareness for that has become uh, much more mainstream which is a really good thing but what is interesting to me is like how do athletes fall into that equation especially when their schedules and their routines are just so vigorous so i think that's going to be something to look at uh going forward but i do think that it we are making progress like it is always good uh to have tom brady uh say that like that probably meant a lot uh, to naomi osaka so i do think when it comes to Shaq, like i kind of see where he's coming from too like back in his day uh i know he was injured but like players weren't getting hurt this rapidly in the playoffs and as for lebron like he could say that but at the same time he is part of the players association which did agree to the cba for this season so i think that when it comes to your word and what exactly you stand for you just have to be consistent with it and um yeah players i believe the players uh voted to have the nba season start on that day well yeah. staying on the topic that we touched on about athletes and should they feel the level of gratitude for their financial status or not. We talked about the bubble and everything and LeBron James. Well, I can play devil's advocate here. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Shout out to Al Pacino. Great movie, by the way. And I will say this. What about the players that are living check to check? It's one thing for LeBron James to say, all right, let's pack our bags and let's leave this bubble there's a whole lot of things going on with social justice, which we all know was a big issue and is still a big issue today. But what about the players that are surviving off these game checks? I know the NBA is all about the superstars and all about the LeBron Jameses and the Kevin Durant's and the Kyrie Irvings. We all know that. But what about a guy like Solomon Hill? I'm just going to use him as an example because his name popped up in my head. What about that guy? You know, what about Cam Reddish? What about all these guys that is on the bench trying to make their ends meet? You know what I'm saying? They still got to be able to survive, right? And I think that's what we have got in, gotten into in America is that once we get, and that's the reality, once we, you, you see a lot of people, right? You see a lot of people that come from nothing, have to build from the ground up. They know how to struggle it. But once they get to a certain status, they forget all about their struggles. Their new problems becomes problems that only people in the economic bracket could fill. You know what I'm saying? So when we talk about problems and, and, and mental health issues, I do believe mental health is a real thing. But I also feel like there should be a level of gratitude. I know Isaiah had a great point about these guys, they're, they're doing media, they're doing sports, and they really don't have time for themselves. Um, Zach, we started off the show talking about our you know, co-host, Kenny C. Shout out to him. Obviously, if y'all watch the show on Can You Dick Sports, you're like, who the hell is Kenny C? 
that's because he hasn't been on the show. And the main reason why he hasn't been on the show is not because he woke up one morning and say, damn, I don't like doing radio no more. I don't like being in the huddle with Zach and Lil after all the crazy debates we had. The reason why he's not on the show right now is because he has to make ends meet. He has to be out there in a hot ass sun out there doing construction and working another part-time job to make his ends meet. So he can't sit here and do what he loves to do. And the reality is, is that these players get to do what they love to do. It's just that they have to do it on a daily basis. Now that's the problem too. They have to do it on a daily basis. But the fact of the matter is they are doing it and they are getting paid. So I do believe they should feel a certain level. And I'm not saying they should just automatically wake up every day happy. I'm pretty sure if I be ever became rich, there's gonna be one morning that I wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I'm angry. It happens, it's life. But I do feel like there should be a level of gratitude you know, to, among these players. You can't have guys like Kyrie Irving waking up one morning, oh, I don't want to show up to, to work today. When you have teammates out here that's trying to win games. And that's my thought. Absolutely. You are listening to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports? one radio B. We'll be moving on to topic number four as we move from uh, past day NBA to present day NBA as there is a huge game six tonight at the Staples Center in Los Angeles as the Phoenix Suns will head to LA to take on the Clippers. And the question that we have on the table is it crazy to think the Clippers could come back and win this series against the Suns? And boys, I'm actually going to start this one off. I actually am going to predict the Clippers to win tonight and I'll give you a prediction before Game 7. If we do have a Game 7, it would be on Friday. I believe we're going to be recording one more time before uh, Friday night. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Clippers and their performance in Game 5. There have been many times throughout my life watching the NBA playoffs where I'm watching a game and it's 3-1 or 3-0, and I like to call them Cancun games. You know, the games where the team that's almost uh, on the ropes of being eliminated it's just clear to me that their season is over, they have no interest in playing, and that they're going to be done. And for me, there was every reason for the Clippers to do that in game number five of the series in Phoenix. In game four, the Clippers and Suns both played terrible, and considering the fact the Clippers held Devin Booker in check, they held Chris Paul in check, they were at home, and they still couldn't win game four, that was a devastating loss. But how they responded in game five, once again in these playoffs, was just super, super impressive. And I think that when you combine Chris Paul, and as great of a player as he is, I have gone on the show many times and said he should have won the regular season MVP, no one is going to deny his playoff history. He has blown many leads, I believe five it is, uh, 3-1 or uh, 2-0 in his playoff career. And the Suns won these first two games without Chris Paul. So if they lose these two, uh, these two games, that is a lot of pressure, and that could be a big blow to the legacy of Chris Paul. And I think that when you look at the Clippers, they're going to be at home tonight. I have to admit, it's hard not to be impressed with what Paul George did in game number five. He played really well, and he's not the perfect superstar. I get it. But he has really shown me a lot in these playoffs how he could really screw up a game like he did in game number two, missing those two free throws, and then come back and play great in game three. He wasn't great in game four, but came back again in game five, and he plays defense. He gives you 40 minutes every night, and the Clippers are just a team full of solid guys. The other thing is 
Uh, they have the clear experience advantage over Phoenix and the age advantage. I think that besides Chris Paul, a lot of people are forgetting that these are the first playoffs for a lot of these sons. And Chris Paul, his playoff history isn't that good. I do think the Clippers have a legitimate shot to win this series. And kind of what I referenced in the game against, uh, in, when we were talking about Atlanta, Milwaukee, like the crazy thing about these playoffs is that momentum just changes so quickly. And I don't want to overreact to one game, but the Clippers show me that they could go on the road into a tough environment in Phoenix and win game five. I absolutely think that Ty Lu, what he did, and this is my last point and then I'll throw it over. He put a big man on Chris Paul. And that basically eliminated the lob to DeAndre Ayton and his driving ability. He, they were giving Chris Paul the mid-range jumpers, but when you keep that big on him and you double-team DeAndre Ayton on the boards and you're boxing him out, he was one-handing boards. He grabbed a couple of them, but the Clippers did a really good job keeping him off the offensive glass. And without Zubak, that is super impressive. That is coaching. Tyron Lue deserves a lot of credit for that. I think the Clippers could win the series. I really do. Zach, you know you always react off of one game. I'm used to you, Zach. I know. All right. That's that's a trend. All right. But um as far as the Clippers here, I like the fact that Ty Lu, his coaching adjustments, you have that. You have poor poor George playmaking ability. You have that obviously we all know he can get his own shot. You have Rondo's leadership. You have DeMarcus Cousins experience. You have all those things combined. And that's why initially, like I said, I picked the Suns before the series started to win in seven. And I don't see why I should go off of that. I think they're going to win this game, the Clippers, in game six. And then we'll go to game seven and the Suns will win in game seven. What I like that the Clippers did and the adjustments that Ty Lue did was they went five all out on offense. Basically, they slid. Markeep Moore was to the five. They slid um, on, what's the name, Terrence Mann. And they had Paul George right there up front. And they had Pat Beverly and Reggie Jackson. So now you have a lot of shooting, a lot of playmaking. And now that takes away Aiton from that paint area on the defensive side of the ball. So I like the fact that they did that. And they gave DeMarcus Cousins some more minutes in that game. And he played dividends in that game. That's exactly what I said they should have done. They did it. And just his coaching ability. This guy is 10-2 and two as a coach when his team is facing elimination. That's the best record in NBA history. And you know what they're saying is, history ain't a mystery. It is what it is. So I like the fact that the Clippers are going to be home. I think they better get off the gate real quickly. Kind of like what we saw from Atlanta. Get out the gate real quickly. Punch them early in the mouth. First round, go for the first round knockout. And if they do so, I can see them winning this game. Because the last three games, the, the Suns have not played well. And it is what it is. You know, so we'll see what happens. Um, I, I, I trust in the Suns to wrap up this game tonight. I, feel, I trust in Monty Williams' coaching ability to allow them to wrap up this game tonight. Um, I, I believe Devin Booker will have a big game tonight. And I trust in the defense. So I think, I think Phoenix wraps this up. One thing I will say to that is they certainly do. Like, I, they have not played well really the last three or four games. And they are too good of a basketball team to keep that up. But what I will say is that it's tough because the Suns, they had every reason to close the Clippers out in game five. Like, what, what do you think happened to them in game five? Do you think they just didn't come ready to play? They kind of gave the Clippers a, a big lead out the gate, and they got it to six, I think, at one point. They just weren't really able to recover. What happened was the Clippers outscored them in the paint, and I think that's not going to happen this game. I don't see Paul George getting another 41. I don't see Reggie Jackson getting 23, and I definitely do not see Marcus, Smart, uh, Marcus Moore excuse me, getting 22. DeMarcus Cousins had 15 points in 11 minutes off the bench. The Clippers bench did not make a three-pointer 
the fact that they won the game without the bench even scoring. Right, so don't you think those guys not playing well? Like I, the Clippers bench guys are good. I, I think they could. Uh, I think they're gonna play well tonight. Like I, I think that when you look at the combination of look. Kenny, you could say that the, you believe in the Suns. One thing I know is that all the pressure is going to be on them, and they don't have guys that have succeeded on the road in the playoffs. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I could see Phoenix winning, but it's one of those things where I may have to believe it. Uh, I, may, I may have to see it first until I believe it. I think Jake Crowder's going to hit a couple threes this game, too. I think him being 0 for 4 is definitely going to um, eat him alive going into this game. I think he's going to hit a couple in the first quarter and um, really expand the offense that Phoenix has. I think they did a great job putting the bigs on on the smaller players, as you alluded to. Um, I just don't see that happening again in this game. Monty Williams, back to what um, Kenny said, Monty Williams is about adjustments and he's about poise and keeping your composure into the next game and understanding to win the quarter, not just the game. I think Monty Williams makes great adjustments going into this game and understanding that it's a must win because you don't want to have a tied up series going back into Phoenix. You want to end it now and crush the dreams of LA. Not only that, I don't, I don't think the Clippers are that much of a good home team as well throughout this playoffs. So I think Phoenix will punch them in the mouth to begin with. <laughs> the, right. I mean, the, the one thing I will say is that if the Clippers do win tonight, and I'm pointing at all three of you guys, if the Clippers do win tonight, like you guys both believe, uh, Kenny and Isaiah, that the Suns win tonight, right? And that means that they win the series. But if the Clippers win tonight, like I will say all of the pressure, if the pressure is on in game six, all of the pressure is going to be on Chris Paul uh, for game seven. And, and how do you think he would respond to that? And Lil, you have the Suns in seven, so I'll include you. Yeah, in I, I had the Suns in seven, and I picked them because they're at home. It's basically the home court advantage. I, and I just don't trust PG in crucial moments. Even though we saw what he did in the last game, dropping 41, and he has been playing some heavy minutes. We're talking about he's playing uh, 130 more minutes than any other player in the postseason, including 206 minutes in the Western Conference Finals. But at the same time, as experienced as the Clippers are, and um, and how and I and how we know Tyron Lou to be this great adjuster, this Bill Belichick like adjuster, I still feel like I, I can't trust Paul George all the way yet in that moment, and that's their primary guy. And obviously, we all know Reggie Jackson has stepped up in the playoffs. This guy can't miss. I think it's actually bad for the Clippers because it, as much as every time I see Reggie Jackson on the floor, his price is going up. You know, and you're going to have to figure out how you're going to pay this dude. But I like the Suns at home. The role players play better at home. CP3, Devin Buck, I just trust them more at home to win a game seven. And I don't even think the pressure is on them in game seven. The pressure is on them now. They were up three and one. They're going on the road. I'm pretty sure the Clippers going to come out the gate. The pressure is going to be on them tonight. Right. So what happens if the Clippers win tonight and extend this series? If the pressure was big. And like I said before the series, I had the Suns in seven, and I'm not going to take away from that. I just will say this, though. The X factor, and this is my last point, then I'm done. My day is over. My, my um, X factor is Cameron Payne because he has been dealing with a nagging injury, and he played about 13 minutes in Monday's game. He has to be a little bit more healthier because that's the guy that, once he's in the game, the speed is different because he knows how to get to the basket and get to the rack. You know, he plays with a certain speed. So I think they need him and his scoring ability off that bench. All right, so once again, before we exit today's show, both Lil and I will be on the Clippers tonight to win game number six, while Isaiah and Kenny will be on the Suns to close it out and advance to their first NBA Finals since 1993. Boys, any last comments on this? It's ironic how the two guests are the 
fans of the road team to win the game. I just like the way that played out. <laughs> Even though, as Kenny said, who knows how big of a home court advantage the Clippers have. I don't know about you guys, but uh, watching games three and four, every time the Suns would get a basket, I, I would hear some, some large chants. So I wonder what that's about. True. Very true. So, boys, just wanted to say once again, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. This was episode number 111 of In the Huddle, and uh, we'll be back sooner rather than later. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having yes, me. Definitely. Can you dig sports radio? We in the building.